How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Hey, we're like popcorn. It's the slow trickle. Here we go. <laughs> Everybody's waking up. This is good. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you all. It is also good to continue in our series titled Jesus People. I'm totally ripping off that name from the movement called the Jesus People Movement. At least that's what some people had called it. I've heard it go by different names, but essentially it's uh, when God was moving in the 70s here in our country uh, among uh, the hippies who were uh, coming off of drugs or coming out of drugs or coming out of whatever, and were discovering Jesus and discovering faith and all that that uh, brings to their lives. And so we're, we're we're borrowing, we're stealing, we're co-opting the name a little bit uh, to talk about the idea of discipleship, how each and every one of us uh, has been given this invitation by Jesus to follow him and what that means. Because, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, following, it, it, it's not just clicking a button on your social media to follow somebody. It's not just uh, being a, a creeper and following somebody around the grocery store or something. Really, the idea, <laughs> uh, the idea of following in, in the context of Scripture is the idea of trying to apprentice under somebody to learn from somebody to become like them in what you do and what you say and how you live. Every part of you is wrapped up in learning from this person. And so for the disciples... Uh, in the New Testament, they were wanting to learn from Jesus. Jesus had gone to them, and he had called them. He said, follow me, and that was a really big deal back then. There's a lot of cultural context. We talked about it in past weeks, but it was this big deal for them, to, for him to say, follow me, and for him to choose them. And so that's what we've been talking about um, the last couple of weeks. You can go to the next slide, Richard. And so a bit of review. Our first week, right out of the gate, uh, Jesus talks about the cost of following him. In, uh, in, I think it was chapter 8, the idea there was that following Jesus challenges comfort and convention to embody his way. And what that means is that following Jesus, it, it costs us something. It, it's not always comfortable. It's not always sunshine and rainbows uh, as much as we would love for it to be that way and fluffy clouds and all that. It, it can be challenging sometimes, and sometimes he asks us to do things that's uncomfortable and might really challenge some conventions that we hold dear in our lives, and, and we might have to grow beyond that point in our walk of discipleship, so to speak. Second week, we talked about the call of discipleship, how Christ's call communicates compassionate character. I love that I used alliteration that way because I, I always have to say it now whenever we were referenced that week. But essentially that Jesus, he calls everybody, even the people we don't like, even the people we would least expect, he calls everybody. And that's a challenge to, to some of us where maybe we have some past hurts, maybe we have some past feelings about things. And that call, it, it's communicating God's love to those people, and it also communicates to those where it offends us that, it, that God's love is much richer and deeper and greater than any of us can ever really fathom. So 
That led us to last week, we talked about the idea of contending in our faith and how as a disciple, we express heaven when we follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, while Jesus was at this party with a bunch of people that other people didn't like, um, they're just eating and drinking and having a good time at, and just loads of good stuff. And then uh, some disciples of John the Baptist walk up and say, hey, Jesus, you're not fasting. We're fasting. Why aren't you fasting? And so Jesus, he, he explains to them uh, some of the things around that, and you can catch up on that this week. Now, that all brings us to today, which is uh, we're wrapping up Matthew 9, and we're going to cover all of chapter 10. It's going to be a wild ride, y'all. I love it. So, the title for today's message is Carry, um, and our main passage is Matthew 9, 35 through 1042. It's going to be fun. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that Jesus empowers His disciples to carry His kingdom mandate and authority. Jesus empowers His disciples to carry His kingdom mandate and authority. You can go to the next slide. Uh, in trying to think of how to, to wrap my mind around this, how to communicate it to you, just trying to think of a good illustration. Um, some of you know that I'm a music guy. I love music, uh, mostly classic rock and blues. Um, but there is this whole subgenre within my musical wheelhouse where I love jazz. I just do. It's something, it started in high school when I was trying to be in jazz band as a, you know, a good punk rocker trying to play guitar in band. It, it was an adventure and my band teacher was so patient with me. Um, and I discovered one, my love for this one particular artist named Miles Davis. He had quite the range of a career and everything from the hard bop in the 50s that I love, and it's my bread and butter every time I want to go to that or John Coltrane in the 1950s, it was gold. And then he got inspired at Woodstock to create fusion, and then uh, it was a whole other thing. We can talk about that forever. But in 1986, Miles Davis had this interview with Dick Cavett. He was a late-night talk show host. I'm assuming it was late night. I wasn't alive yet, but, um, but I see it on YouTube and I love it. So anyway, uh, Miles Davis, he had just recorded this album, which is his very nice black and white face there um, on that album cover, Tutu. Um, I've never really listened to Tutu because again, I'm a hard bop guy. I'm not so much a fusion guy, but on this Dick Cavett show, he, he, like normal, he does this performance like all musicians do. They interview him afterwards. And it was so funny because Dick Cavett, he, as he's interviewing in the old school kind of way of interviewing, he tries to ask Miles Davis, so if there was an opening in your band, what is one of the first things that you're going to look for in, in a new musician, if somebody were to apply to your band? And in perfect Miles Davis fashion, he said, 
well, first of all, I'll, I'll <laughs> I can't do a good impression of him, but like think gravelly sort of voice and very soft spoken. But he basically said that um, it's the carriage and Dick Cavett's like, are you putting me on right now? Like what's going on here? And the idea was that Miles Davis at that point in his career he could tell if a person was a good musician just by the way they held their instrument. And then there's also this other clip, uh, right? Uh, oh, what's his name? Ah, oh, shoot. Uh, Nicolas Cage was on that episode. And uh, Nicolas Cage had a trumpet and was trying to, to hold it in that sort of way. It kind of panned to Nicolas Cage. And, Miles Davis is just standing there, like, checking him out and trying to give him tips and things, and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> but the point is, is that, so Miles Davis, as a musician, he could tell the, just the confidence and the character of somebody just by the way they held their instrument. How much more, for you and I today, our faith? What when we hold on to our faith, when we carry our faith and we handle it, what does that tell us about our walk with Jesus? What does it tell us about our trust in Him and where He's been leading us and our response to Him? And that's going to lead us into today. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Um, you can also follow along on the screen as well. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or shirt, extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. 
Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Ouch. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Mine are decreasing a little bit. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household." Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. 
and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these least, these little ones, who is my disciple? Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. It's a pretty heavy chapter, and we're going to try to work through it together. <laughs> so, the first thing I see is care for the lost with what's received from Jesus. So Jesus, he calls his disciples, well, first, so right on the heels of all these different healings that he's been doing and all this ministry around the region of Galilee, he looks out on the crowd that's there, um, and he has compassion for them. He's moved by this sight of all these people coming to see him and um, to, be, to receive this touch, this healing work. And so he, he instructs his disciples saying, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to God that he's going to send out workers to work his harvest field. And then that's followed up immediately um, in the next section that talks about how Jesus then goes and sends out his disciples into the harvest field. <laughs> I love it. It's like Jesus is saying, "Be pray, but also... Maybe sometimes I make you the answer to your own prayers, guys. Here we go. And so the charge is really to care for the lost sheep of Israel. It's not at this time, Jesus is not wanting his disciples to go um, outside of, uh, uh, of the Jewish community. He only wants to reach out to the people who God had made covenant with up until that point the lost sheep of Israel, the people who maybe they were born into this family, into this whole lineage, and maybe they have all the, all the rights and dues of being a Jew, but they've rejected God, and they've said, nah, I'm, maybe life has kind of gotten to a point where they just say, you know what, I'm, I'm too lost, I'm, I'm not even worthy of God's attention, and so Jesus sends them out to that to those people and to those places. <clears throat> and it's with a care for the lost. And the, the, the two things Jesus instructs them to do, it's amazing because I, I just want to reread that because it feels so impossible. Check this out. So go rather, verse 6, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Check, good to go awesome, easy peasy, that's good. And then he says, heal the sick, okay? Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy and uncurable disease. Drive out demons. I don't even want to get near that stuff. And then he says, freely you have received, freely give. What is fascinating to me is up until this point for the disciples, if, you had, if he had told his disciples this right from the get-go without modeling to them 
that it was possible through some power that he had that nobody else seemed to have, they probably would have laughed it off and said, you're crazy. <laughs> but all these things are things that he just modeled to them to do, which is striking. And what's also striking is that it seems as though for those disciples, Jesus is dispensing some level of authority to carry that out, where there is both a, um, a proclamation that goes out saying the kingdom of heaven is near, so God's kingdom is here and now it's arriving, it's, it's coming upon you, it's there, but then also performing these different miracles, but it's not in our strength, it's in some other kind of power and strength. You can go to the next slide. So, yeah, plentiful, proclaim, perform. There we go. All right, so this makes me, makes me wonder about how, so he's sending them like, he, he identifies that there's this lack of shepherding that's going on, this lack of care for God's people. And so he sends out his disciples to go and do this care for God's people. And it's like a shepherd who goes out and tries to find a sheep who might be lost. A dirty, stinky sheep with a rebellious streak. And so the shepherd carries it back to the flock. Not only that, but there's that image of, of healing, and that makes me think of how, you know, in Luke chapter 4, um, there's this moment in Jesus' ministry where he goes into the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and it's this mission of God that's described there in Luke 4, 18 through 19 that says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus is talking about himself at that point and as that fulfillment, but now he is giving his disciples an opportunity to go and do likewise, to bind up the broken-hearted, hearted, uh, to, you know, to heal blind people, to, uh, to cleanse leprosy, which again, at that point, that was a death sentence. That would be like, similar today, to if somebody had cancer, and Jesus said, go heal those people. Go go there and heal them because they need to be rid of that. They need to be freed from that thing and others. And so what that looks like, I wonder, what does that look like for you and me? How is that even possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus empowers his disciples with the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. That for them as Jesus is giving that, that, that authority and that mission to them, it's not just so that they can be like little superheroes and be like, wow, my faith is so big. But the mission is to go and to bring healing to a broken world, to find people who are lost and to say, you have a home, you have a place, you have a belonging here. And so that can look 
like a lot of different things for you and I today. That could look like you going and praying for somebody. It could look like um, literally physically helping them, like if they have literal wounds, trying to do that. We have um, a few different outreach services here in town where there are lost people who need help. They need some kind of a supernatural touch from somebody who has the Holy Spirit inside of them to show them the love of God in that place. It could look, in, there, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of different applications, but the point is that Jesus is enabling his disciples to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can go to the next slide. The second thing I see, <clears throat> and this is where it starts to get harder in, in the passage, is that ministry attack, uh, attracts opposition from worldly kingdoms. And so uh, you can go to the next slide. Jesus, he gives this series of warnings to them where he says, you know, the authorities, they're not going to like what you're doing. And so you're going to be put in prison. Um, and in their case, it was a literal thing where if the Roman government didn't like what you were doing and might have thought of it as subversive, they would just throw you in jail and say, well, you might get a trial. <laughs> and so he's warning them about authorities, but he's also warning about the cost and, and the implications that happen in family, where this is going to set you know, uh, son against father and, and daughter against mother, and that there's going to be this sort of, this opposition to whatever's happening that these disciples are bringing to the table. <clears throat> and I know that that's hard to imagine because everything that we've read up until this point, you know, for us, you know, some 2,000 years removed from it, we're thinking, this is fantastic. How could anybody be opposed to this? This is great. Why, why would people be up in arms about this? And yet, there was opposition even up until that point. People were starting to say, Jesus, why are you doing these things? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? You're not supposed to do this on the Sabbath. There's six other days to heal somebody, but you might not be in contact with them then, but, but Jesus, he, he broke the mold a bit and was, was, his kingdom was breaking in to that place in that time. You can go to the next slide. So often when we think about Jesus and his ministry and, and this healing ministry and what the disciples were now being commissioned to go and do, we think of the people who, who are receiving that healing. And even for our own selves, when we feel a touch from the Lord, there's that sense of gratitude, like the, the gal who's on the left. I have a confidence monitor in the back, and so I'm always <laughs> backwards. Anyway, so the gal who's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is so good. Thank you. I, I needed that, that touch from your spirit. Thank you. I needed healing. Oh, it's so amazing. I needed to be cleansed from my leprosy. Thank you, or whatever. But then there's the other guy who's indignant, like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And that is, at yeah, this part of the Gospel of Matthew, that's the tension. 
is there's the people of gratitude on one end of the spectrum, and then there's the indignant folk who, they don't know what to do with Jesus, and now Jesus is saying, disciples, go and do likewise. If I were a disciple, I'd be rethinking my commitment a bit. I'd be like, Jesus, are you sure about this? Because I don't want to be thrown in jail. <laughs> I don't want to experience, you know, this kind of opposition in my life where people are, Jesus literally said, people are going to hate you. That's incredible. Even so far, so the title of our series is Jesus People. I was talking with Stephen the other day, and he was very quick to point out how in the 70s, uh, the, the colloquial term around some people uh, was to call them not Jesus people, but Jesus freaks, um, which paved the way for the awesome DC talk song in the 1990s. Um, anyway, I digress. But there, that is the tension that we hold. And that even as you pursue a life devoted to the Lord, there are going to be people who are on that spectrum somewhere between those two, two extremes. Even people in your own family who aren't going to understand why you're giving Jesus the time of day, why on earth you're, you're carving out time to read some dusty old book that somehow has been preserved for thousands of years, but, you know, today you're choosing to read it. <laughs> but, you know, there's going to be people who just scratch their heads, and then they're going to get offended. And I love that Jesus is just point-blank honest with the disciples. He's not sugarcoating it for them. He's, he's laying it on the line saying, this is going to be hard. It's going to be amazing, but it's going to be hard. And Jesus isn't just throwing them out into the deep end saying, hope you guys survive. <laughs> He's empowering them to do this. He's giving them all the tools that they need, all the example, all the everything to go and do as he has done. You can go to the next slide. So the third and final thing I see in our passage is that conflict reveals that we belong to Jesus. I hesitated writing that sentence because it could get misconstrued, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. But conflict reveals that we belong to Jesus. You can go to the next slide. So there's this, there's the revelation that, you know, I think it's, oh, which verse is it? Oh, my goodness. Um, so Jesus is talking about how you know, God cares for them, verses 26 through 31, how um, don't be afraid and how uh, don't be afraid of anybody else who can just kill your body. Basically, fear God because he can kill both in hell. And so there's that welcome to church moment there. Um, don't be afraid and basically saying you are valuable, you are worthy, I, I value you. And then there's this part in verse 32 where whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father. There's this, this revelation there of how a person is identified with Jesus through, um, through this ministry, through this obedience to what he's calling them to do. And then it goes into the warning about how uh, this is going to not be a peaceful situation. There's going to be conflict. It's going to be not peace, but a sword, which is to say there's going to be a fight sometime, basically, um, in your life uh, for, for what you're doing. And then he talks about this, whoever's worthy of me. 
And then uh, that identity between us and him. But that all of it is going to be worth it because through it all, we will find life in him. You can go to the next slide. This makes me think about how uh, in us caring for other people uh, with what we've been given from Jesus through this, um, this opposition to whatever ministry that we're participating in and practicing at that time, that all of it, it's, it's revealing to other people stuff that Jesus has revealed to us. It's not keeping anything secret. I know there was this one uh, um, idea that came out. It's not a new idea. It's really an ancient idea that somehow Jesus had some kind of secret knowledge hidden that he didn't want anybody to know about. And if you really wanted to follow Jesus, you would know that it's all this mysterious kind of stuff. Um, and they even wrote a ton of uh, uh, creative nonfiction novels about people who believe this kind of stuff. It's crazy. But all that being said, Jesus is saying, there's nothing, I'm not keeping this from anybody. Whatever I tell you in secret, tell everybody. Declare it. Share it with everybody you know. It makes me think of Buddy the Elf from the movie Elf, where he goes into the office and he bursts into this meeting that's a really high-tense meeting. He's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. And then he gets into a fight with uh, a very short man. And so, <laughs> you all have seen it. And so, there you go. But... You know, so there's that kind of obnoxious side where it's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, I don't care who knows it. Jesus has revealed this to me. I don't care. I just want to share it with everybody. That kind of level of excitement. And then there's also the level of kind of terror when we think about sharing our faith where it's, we get this picture of like, well, God wants me to get up into, in front of a bunch of people and, and, and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> like approaching a microphone in front of a big crowd. That's scary. And sometimes God calls us to that level of sharing. But then also, it can be equally as scary when we're at a cookout or we're by the lake and we're sharing some food with some friends where maybe they don't follow Jesus. And because we're friends, we know, it, you know how each other lives our lives and everything. And, but Jesus has just been doing stuff in your life. He's been revealing things to you, and you just, you want to share it, and Jesus is even telling you what I'm telling you in your quiet time. Share with other people. But the danger is that in that place, there's going to be conflict that arises. It's not always going to end up in the positive. Uh, you've heard me say before, and I'll say it again, conflict is not a bad thing because conflict can lead to a lot of growth and a lot of good. However, conflict can also lead to division. And that's the picture that Jesus gives us in the passage, is that this is going to be a divisive thing that I'm calling you into. It's a good thing. It's God's thing that I'm calling you to share and to participate and partner in. But it's going to bring division. And so this makes me think, yeah, you can go to the next slide. So there's that big idea again, how Jesus empowers his disciples to carry his kingdom mandate and authority. Again, it's not 
us doing it in our own power. It's us doing it by the Holy Spirit's power at work in us and through us to do His kingdom work, whatever He's doing. And so we have this picture here of uh, some awesome artist who obviously loves a lot of color. Um, there's the bird that represents Jesus, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit dispensing out fire and gifting upon people, basically dispensing power to people to be witnesses about Jesus. And so, as people who follow Jesus, we're not just sent out to do it in our own strength or with our own skill. Um, Jesus wants to give you all the tools you need for, for life and godliness and to do the, the, the work that he's given you to do. And so if Jesus can give his disciples the command to go and heal the sick and raise the dead, I would submit to you that by extension, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus empowered his disciples with, you and I have access to today. That means that when you go and pray for somebody or pray over, over a situation, something spiritually powerful can happen that can freak you out. <laughs> but it's a good thing. I have a friend where, I mean, I've never been over at his house when this has happened, but like uh, the reputation has gone out that like within his church and everything where, I mean, he casts out demons. Not just like figurative weird things that we, we, we dabble with in horror movies, no. Like literal, phys you know, spiritual beings casting that out of people in, uh, that are wreaking havoc. Something amazing that's happening today, it's still happening, I can't believe it's still happening, is that there's what people are labeling a revival that's happening in Kentucky and is starting to spread. Because there is a whole world out there that is hungry for God and what God has to offer them in their life. And I would submit to you today that there, there are people here in Florence who need that same touch. And they don't just need to go hop in a car and travel to Kentucky to go to some revival meeting there. They need God right here. And so what if, imagine with me, what if you and me as followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by his grace and his mercy and, and all that. What if you and I went out into our community and by the Holy Spirit's leading, we started praying for people? What could happen here? What kind of impact would that have for your neighbors? Even the neighbors you don't like so much, <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be amazing if there were a lot of people in our town who didn't know Jesus, who then through the Spirit's work, through us and our obedience to the Lord, what could happen 
if they actually came to know Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so today, I just, I want to I wanna close with this thought that, you know, yes, Jesus empowered his disciples who literally followed him, physically slept in the same camp, ate the same food, watched Jesus do incredible things. Yes, he empowered them, but he also empowers you and I today. And with that, let's pray.